Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. So I took a couple of days off of work this week. <clears throat> and so those of you who have followed me for a while have probably noticed that over the course of time, I kind of stopped telling y'all like stuff that I do and like life type stuff. I don't know. It's kind of a it's, it's an interesting thing. And so those of you who have been here for a while understand that this kind of used to be a bit of a small, intimate group. And then it got to be a whole lot bigger. And when you do that, you kind of go from talking to friends to talking to whoever shows up. And you don't talk the same way to your friends as you do to whoever shows up. And so some of that kind of flipped up, some of that kind of retweeted, you know, re retreated for me and stuff like that, you know. But anyway, let me tell you what I did on Monday. Anybody want to guess what I did on Monday? I don't even know if any of y'all know what I did on Monday. If you were like the one person who recognized me there, you might be able to point it out. Anybody want to guess what I did on Monday? Anybody at all? Anybody? All right. None of y'all got it. So I have always wanted to go check out a concert at uh red rocks y'all up on red rocks this uh amphitheater that's built into the mountains a uh, few miles outside of denver and i for the longest been looking for the right show to go to to check out a concert and so i was on the phone with my homeboy and we like to do the concert thing and we just kind of scrolling up and down and seeing who they got playing. And I'd always imagine that the first time I went to Red Rocks would be my morning jacket, right? Because they do a lot of, um, you know, they, they do Red Rocks. The aesthetic seems to fit perfectly, the sound and the surroundings. And look it up if you're not familiar with it to get a vibe of like what the place is like, you dig. And so I saw that uh, Addison Pack was going to be playing that joint. And I thought about going to that because, you know, I really rock with him. So I thought, oh, man, that might be a cool venue to go to. That was earlier in June. And then I went a little down farther on the list. And I saw Stevie was going to be playing Red Rocks. By the way, I understand that for some of you, this requires some clarification I am talking about Stevie Wonder. If there is a Two Americas on one name in particular, it is Two Americas when you're talking about music and you make reference to Stevie. It is very similar to the Two Americas phenomenon that comes around the title of classic songs called Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, some of y'all are like, what do you mean? There's only one stairway to heaven. Nah, there's two, and they both really dope, and in a way similar. I could describe the similarity. Basically, they both like, they, they, I, don't, I, don't, I ain't a technical music person, so I just be using stuff, but uh, like crescendoing, you know what I mean? It builds to a point. Both of them do it the same way. Anyway, so yes, I see Stevie Wonder's playing Red Rocks. So I go see Stevie. Oh, people asking, who is the other Stevie? All oh, y'all black, aren't you? Every single one of y'all asks about that other Stevie, you're black, aren't you? Keith Oberman, uh, he got a dog named Stevie. He does. And I had to ask, which Stevie? And they told me it was Stevie Nicks. Because it's two Americas. So anyway, found out Stevie was playing Red Rocks. Me and my homeboy, we get on planes. We go see Stevie at Red Rocks. Let me give a little Red Rocks advice. Number one. Don't worry too much about how close your seats are. I recommend that you do, in fact, get seats. But don't worry about how close your seats are, because the closer your seats are, the less likely you are to be able to get the view 
to go along with the concert. And part of this is the view, right? That's number one. Uh, number two, stretch first. It is in mountains. You're going to be doing some walking. You got to make some moves just so you know. But anyway, it was dope. Like, it was dope. Like, I was sitting there, and I was watching the concert, and I had this big old smile on my face, and I really stopped and was like, damn, this is what love feels like. Like, it felt like love. That's what it was. I was in the 39th row. I was sitting by dead center, and it felt like love. Like, the weather was perfect. Uh, Got some stars in the sky. Got Stevie down there. Crowd was into it, too. Like they was, they was down. Like, Hey, I mean, it was mostly white folks cause Denver and them tickets was expensive, but they came to kick it. Like this was like, I went to the songs in the Kia life show in Atlanta and I felt like a lot of people were there cause they felt like they were supposed to be there. Right. It just seemed like the kind of thing you were supposed to do. Nah, man, these white folks came to kick it. They came to dance. They was by it. They was by it. Stevie had them. Stevie also apparently has learned that when he got crowds full of white folks like that, he don't, he get, he go past that clap on like clap with me where you got the one, three, two, four situation. Actually, that did happen. And I think he realized the confusion. And so then he just had people clap on the one, two, three, and four. Right? Get in where you fit in. So, uh, yeah. So we there. Just at altitude, right? It's just great. Like, all of it is rolling. It's a dope show. Stevie told us earlier that his, he was hoarse. His voice wasn't right. And... I saw, like I say, Song Skinny Life Tour, he killed it, right? He's maybe the best live singer I've ever seen. Probably the best live singer that I've ever seen. So it was a little bit of a bummer that he was hoarse, but he was still able to get through the songs. And, of course, the songs themselves are just monstrous, and he still does, like, incredible instrumental things. And he was so apologetic about the fact that his voice wasn't really there. And so after he does about three songs, um, he says he got a special guest. He said... My uh, my head, you know, my my voice ain't right, all that stuff. So I called out a special guest, and he called out Usher Raymond. And so Usher come out there, and Usher sings uh, what you call it, uh, Ribbon in the Sky. He did good work with Ribbon in the Sky. Stevie needed more than a one song break because actually Stevie was trying to take some time to drink some tea, but then he remembered he was supposed to play the keys on all this stuff. So how was he ever actually going to get around to drinking the tea? Stevie was in a bit of a dilemma. So anyway, after Ribbon in the Sky, Usher had something for that. Then the next song was Overjoyed. And Stevie started singing a little bit of Overjoyed and then he handed it off to Usher. I don't know if Stevie was being arrogant, but Stevie was operating on the assumption that Usher knew the words to Overjoyed. I'm here to tell you, Usher did not know the words to Overjoyed. Stevie was trying to like Kurt Franklin the whole thing, right? Just for two. So he could be just for two. Though you ne, though you ne, Vernu you. Ver knew you. Except Usher wasn't catching on. And to be fair, Usher came out there and had them sunglasses on and Usher was in Denver. So I don't know what Usher was doing because I don't think Usher, I don't think the plan was for Usher to do this. Like I think Usher just performed 
because he was there doing a solid for Stevie. And I say that because I know somebody who saw Usher walking up, and I don't feel like that's how they treat you if you perform it. Like, I think Usher just came like I did for the same reason I did, right? And the next thing you know, he out there, but Usher ain't know the words overjoyed, and Stevie trying to feed him the lyrics. And then they got to it, whatever. Stevie took it over. And then they did sign, sealed, and delivered. And then Usher ain't know the words to that. And I'm just looking at Usher like, what the hell you grow up listening to, partner? You know what I'm saying? Like, like you ain't got nothing on this? So anyway, Stevie's feeding him the words. Stevie trying to feed him the words. And at some point, Usher actually got on the microphone and said to him, and I quote, you talk too fast. This really happened. He said, you talk too fast. And so Usher then starts dancing, right? Usher knows that he ain't got the words. So Usher start dancing. Then Usher start dancing on the piano. And I feel like it's kind of disrespectful that you be having your booty and your crotch all up in Stevie's face. Even if you think he can't see it, I bet that man smell good. You know what I'm saying? That was probably hard on him. So anyway, yeah, Usher did his three songs. Stevie got through the rest of the show, man. It was great. Stevie played Imagine for the white people. They love that. Like the white people in Denver who are coming to see Stevie Wonder, dude, Imagine had them ready to save the world. He was right on point. He was in there. Somebody asked how deep he got with the songs. The first song he did at the concert was As If You Read My Mind, which is kind of shocking because that's not even one that you find on any greatest hit compilation. I don't think that was even on the Close of the Century uh, compilation. That was four CDs. Like, I was surprised he started there. He went from there. He went into Master Blaster Jamming. Um, Then he did Don't You Worry About a Thing. And I don't know how deep that counts as going, but he did it. You know? We got some good stuff out of Stevie uh, in the course of this show. Every style, he only disappointed me one time. You want to guess how Stevie disappointed me? Those of y'all who know me, y'all want to guess how Stevie disappointed me? Guess what song Stevie did? That's right. Stevie did the only, like one of the very few full-on bad songs in the catalog. He did I Just Called to Say I Love You. Lucky for me. I used that opportunity to go to the bathroom. It worked out well. I got back. I left right as it started. I got back right as it ended. And that's right. The white folks loved it. Loved it, I tell you. Loved it. He closed it down with superstition. We knew he wasn't getting no encore. But like I said, it felt like love. It 100%. Felt like love. It's a good time. So, yes, went to see Stevie at Red Rocks. Have you ever seen this look on my face before? Did a good job on my teeth, too, didn't they? Look at that. Whew. Anyway, let me move on to your questions. I've enjoyed the lifestyles of the rich and famous glimpses and insights you provide. Each one is a public service. A while ago, you mentioned upgrading your betting. I got so excited. I'm doing the same. Have you found brands or qualities that you now recommend? Thank you. Uh, no, not really. But I will tell you this about like lifestyles of the rich and famous glimpses that I give you. 
I've come to realize that I don't exactly like really give you that many glimpses is that. And this is why I say that. So I'm sitting there at one point and I'm at this Stevie Wonder show. Right. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, bruh, I got on a plane. I got to come see Stevie Wonder at this venue that I wanted to go to for the longest, all of that, right? Like, I'm like, yo, man, I did it. Like, I'm, I'm here now. You know what I'm saying? I got to this place. I got my money right. I can come do this, right? I need to be thankful for that fact. And don't get me wrong. I do need to be thankful for that fact. However, I was there with my homeboy. He work at a school. Like, he don't own the school. He work at it. You know? He's an employee. He's an employee there. Like, the things that don't, we sitting here doing next to each other. You understand what I mean? Like, what I've come to find is the cool stuff is still the stuff that was probably cool before. On the side, you could throw on some decent stuff, right? Like, I ain't sparing no expense on something I ain't got to. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I still feel like, for the most part, the extra cool stuff is still stuff that, like, the thing you got to realize about the way my money went, my money went from being little, little to big with no stops in between. Like, I don't know the kinds of things that people can, like, reasonably afford to do all the time at some of these intermediate steps of making money. Because I just, I, I went from none, none, you know, actually to classy, like, pretty quick. And so it happens sometimes. Like, it's kind of like when I got to, uh, I got a BMW at one point, right? It was a really dope automobile, but now I live in New York, so I just sold it. I was having a real difficult time knowing, like, what was BMW stuff and, like, what was in cars made after 2005 because I'd never had a car that was made after 2005. Like I'm out here using Siri while I drive feeling like the man. Everybody be doing that though. Right? Like I had no grasp. I had no gauge. I didn't know what was what, you know, but the moral of the story is the cool stuff is still the cool stuff. But I do like try to dress up on the things that surround stuff. You know what I mean? Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. It's been two years since you said farewell to Highly Questionable. Since then, have you adopted any pre-podcast slash TV show rituals? Now, pretty much the same rituals I always had before. One day I may be able to tell you about them. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Most disappointing concert you've ever attended. Performance, technical difficulties, wardrobe, malfunction, etc. I actually haven't been to that many disappointing concerts. Because the truth is, it's really hard to disappoint somebody with a concert generally. like Because if it's somebody you really like, you're so sold on the idea that you're going to love it on the front end that you're probably going to say that you're going to love it on the back end. Like, no matter how it goes. That's, that's just kind of how it's going to spin, Right. But man, I went to go see Van Morrison in concert a couple years ago, and I'm not sure how long it took me to fully like admit to myself, man, he mailed it in on us. I ain't never seen nobody uh, demonstrate less of an appreciation for his ticket buying public than Van Morrison did at that concert. He did the absolute bare minimum. Bare minimum. 
That hurt. That really hurt. By the way, I'm looking in the chat room and a gentleman or a lady, I don't know which, says, so you dubbed me right when you right when you left the event last Monday and I wasn't surprised or mad, but it was a little unexpected. Is it really hard to just say I'm leaving in that situation surrounded by people or were you just having fun by saying, hold up, I'll be right back. All right, guys, let's talk about this. So did an event last week. Uh, I think it was called like the black icons of podcasts or something. Rebecca Carroll was doing a uh, WNYC. I think I got the call letters right. Um, and it was a cool event. I like did a talk for people. I appreciate everybody that showed up because what I did not know until I got there is that people actually paid money for that. And I am shocked that you would pay money to watch me talk. Most of the times I'm talking, I give this stuff away. Apparently I'm doing it wrong with this year podcast because there seems to be a market. Anyway, um, did it. It was cool. And then after I was like kind of torn here because I generally like try to do a little bit of uh, meet and greet after these sorts of things. But like right after it was done, Rebecca like broke out the back door. She was out. Peace. Okay. And so I stayed and talked to a couple people. And let me tell you what I did notice. And this is something that has just kind of happened to me. And it's interesting. I am not a person that can really relate to like concepts of anxiety and stuff like that. Like that's just not my burden. It ain't really like, it's not what I've had to deal with. So I don't like when I hear people talk about it, I'm always like, wow, I don't really understand what that feeling is, man. Look, I was standing there and I had people like there was no line. You understand what I mean? Like there was no like there was no set way to do this. And so I had people coming literally um, in three different directions, three different directions. And at one point I looked and I saw one dude like cut in line in front of somebody to get to the front. And so I'm standing in the middle of it. I got no idea where the next person is going to be coming from. And yo, I freaked out a little bit. Like I was like, oh man, what is going on here? You know? And so I just, just like, yo, I'll be right back. And then I went to the back because I just need to get away from it. And then I was like, okay, now nah, I just got to get the hell up out of here. And I was like, I got to go. But there was no real way to be like, hey, everybody, I feel very anxious right now. And therefore, I'm going to leave. You understand what I'm saying? So I apologize to whoever it was that I told, yeah, I'm going to be right back. And then I never came back. But I just had to go. <laughs> like, like, that was it. It was just time for me to depart. And that's something that that kind of developed. Like I don't, I don't, like I don't even know if it's gonna be like that all the time for me necessarily. But that's what it was. Like I'm not telling you that I handled it the right way necessarily. I'm just telling you how it got handled and why it got handled in that way. I just need to get out of there. Like it was, it was, it was, it was a lot. And I'm not a person that's accustomed to that. There's some people out there who I imagine are, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not in that place. I'm just not there. So you know. Sorry about that, partner, but you're going to be all right. People out here talking about hire y'all for security. Yeah, I don't know about that. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Are you doing this right now to just avoid the debate talk on Twitter? No, I'm, I'm kind of okay with debates. I watched the debate last night. 
you know, everybody freak out when you, oh, somebody about to talk about politics. I ain't going to talk to you about politics. However, debates are hilarious. and You're not going to separate me from the world that I live in. So I ain't going to say nothing about too much about like actual political views and stuff like that. But I will tell you this. Um, I looked at a, at a, at a and this is, by the way, being recorded because most of y'all listen. It's being recorded during the Thursday night debate. But on the Wednesday night debate, I saw a picture that had all the people that was in the debate up. And I was able to identify five of them, not included in that five, the mayor of the city that I live in. Yeah, I don't know who any of these people are. And I got to say, a couple of them was pretty impressive. I, I was like, oh, right. Okay. I ain't really, I ain't really heard nothing about you, homie, but it's what it is. Oh, buddy, uh, Beto hit him with that Euro step when he started speaking that Spanish. And then what was funny about that was Beto started speaking that Spanish and everybody talked about the look that Cory Booker gave him. Little did you know that Cory Booker either A, planned to come out and speak some Spanish himself, or B, saw Beto do it and decided it was his time to show that he can habla that Espanol too. I didn't even think it was that whack that Beto did that. The only question I have about that is the Spanish-speaking people that you're reaching out to, are they watching this if nobody's speaking Spanish but you? You understand what I mean? So like I can see how somebody would think it would come across as pandering because the people that really know what you're talking about right there probably aren't watching that on MSNBC. You know, but that's just a thought. Um, here's the problem they got with having these zillion person debates, right? And this is this is a failing of the structure of the plan or whatever it is. And I guess you ain't really got too many options when you have this many people in the field. But I think they probably should have split it into three nights instead of two because what happens when you have that many people in a debate what you got is if, 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 if these people are going to answer the question that is before them, if they're going to answer it, they go answer that real quick. And then they're going to get to basically what is some kind of synopsis of their overall campaign. Because for a lot of those people, they are strangers. Nobody knows who they are. And since nobody knows who they are, they got to introduce themselves with this limited amount of time that they have in front of these people. And so they're going to give you lip service to the question. And then after that, they're going to be out here looking out for Dolo because this is the only chance. You see what I'm saying? Like this, this is a flaw in the structure of what they're doing, that there's no way for this to be anything other than just give me your pitch. And honestly, for these first ones, that's basically what they should have done. This should have been like student council elections and everybody just got to get up there and give like a three minute speech. And that probably would have done more than the format that they were trying to use right there. Like right there. That's probably the way to do it. I will also say this. This is an apolitical observation. I cannot think of a bigger mistake than any human being in this world could possibly make. Than standing at Miami International Airport and advertently, inadvertently, I don't know what kind of vertently. You cannot be at the airport in Miami sounding like Che Guevara. You cannot do it. In fact, I would be very surprised if Bill de Blasio was able to get on the plane to go back. Hey, you better hope they ain't tell whoever's working at TSA about that. Hey, no, 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 no. I see a bomb. 
Yeah, go look in his bag for the bomb. You didn't see the bomb? Keep looking. Keep looking till you find a bomb. Till you find a bomb, you're not done looking. Keep it going. Bad break, homie. Bad break. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. This dude said, where are you going on vacation next week? Is it at least warm and sunny? I might tell you later. I ain't telling you now. Come on now. Y'all know this. Look, man, I one time went on a vacation to Costa Rica, and I posted a picture from, like, off a balcony over the restaurant at this little resort I was staying at, and the dude replied to me talking about, yeah, I just stayed there last week. I ain't telling y'all shit. Not till I get back. Maybe. Though I can't tell you it is not the Dominican Republic, so don't you worry. When the show comes back on, I'll be back on too. Let me see, let me see, let me see. I know you hate them here due to not wanting to do them off the top of your head, but do you enjoy ranking things in private? Actually, no, I don't. It's kind of funny that you mentioned that. Uh, My buddy Nick, Nick Wright, works at Fox, right? Good friend of mine. And one thing we have in common is that we're both radio guys. And Nick loves nothing more than to put together a list. He loves nothing more than taking these things and putting them in order and everything else. Right? He loves nothing more. I am not that guy. I used to like really kind of sort of be into that stuff. Um, but I'm like, you know, it, it, nah, I don't really do that. It's like, I like it or I don't like you ask me my favorite insert thing here. I'll struggle with that forever. Cause I don't like order things in my mind in that way. That's just me. So yeah, now nah, I don't really enjoy that on my own time. Appreciate the question. Next one. Should Pac have just released one good combined project instead of Ventura and Oxnard? No, that would be silly. First of all, the way that you feel about Ventura wouldn't be the same if it was mixed with Oxnard if you don't think Oxnard was good. I have my own problems with Oxnard, but I think I can make an argument that that Ventura is a better album, it's more cohesive, it has a better feel, but I can make the argument that Oxnard has more standout tracks. Like, as much as people talk about they didn't like Oxnard, Oxnard got some heaters, all right? Um, I like the first track, though I don't think it counts as a heater. But Oxnard's got Tense. Tense is a heater. My Brother's Keeper is dope. Um, Six Summers is dope. I like Savior's Road. Um, The Anywhere Joint, really from Brother's Keeper to the end, is pretty dope. Right. Trippy is incredible. Cheers is bananas. Um, but where you get it is like it just doesn't feel the same. Like that's what the issue is. But there is no song on Oxnard that is not good. Um, the Mansa Musa joint, I don't know why Dre had to rap, but whatever, you know. And left to right, which is a bonus track. Now that one's whack. But everything else, like you really don't have songs on there that aren't good. It just ain't it just ain't Malibu. But Ventura, I think, has more of a cohesive feel in the sense that, in the way that Malibu did. But I can also say that Oxnard has a fairly distinct personality to it that is very different than the personality on Ventura. But the personality on Oxnard is kind of cold and unfeeling. 
like the the emotional resonance of Malibu is missing for a lot of Oxnard, except where is it not missing? It's not missing on Trippy. It's not missing on Cheers. Right? Cheers is the best track on the record, and it's coincidentally the one where he's clearly and obviously the most emotionally invested. But if you combine those two, you got an album that doesn't have a personality to it. You know? And I think the thing that's happened is people don't like the personality of uh, Osnard. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else. Let's do that question. From Dan in Miami, you learned about Latinos and their culture. What have you learned from Pablo in New York? I don't really know. Dan wouldn't like giving me a tour. And I'd also like to remind you I'm from Houston. This ain't the first time I met a Latino before. Like Mexicans count too, right? Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. I'm a big music fan, but never really got around to uh, checking out P-Funk, looking to rectify that, but they have a rather massive catalog. Any recommendations on where to start specifically albums? The question on that is probably where do your initial, where, like, where do your taste typically lie? I am a bit more of a Funkadelic guy than a Parliament guy, though the Parliament stuff is in fact incredible. I believe that the best album in the P-Funk catalog is Cosmic Slop. If you are into the rock end of things, then go with the following from Funkadelic. Um, I'd start with Maggot Brain. I'd go to Cosmic Slop. I would then go to, I think it's Let's Take It to the Stage. And then I'd go to Standing on the Verge of Getting It All. That's the direction I would go in the Funkadelic catalog. If you're doing the Parliament catalog, I mean, you can't lose a Mothership Connection. My mothership connection is just mind-blowing incredible. Um, after that, I like Chocolate City a lot. That's a good record. That's a really good record. Also, the first Polymer record is called Osmium. Um, kind of good, not great. I mean, it's got some really good points. But uh, I think it was the Handel's Messiah that they redid in the Oh Lord, My Lord. That one's dope. And also Coming Out of the Rain. I am a big fan of Coming Out of the Rain. So, yeah, you can do it that way and you'll be all right. Also, you can get you a Boosie Collins Greatest Hits album and be very happy because I'd rather be with you. It might be the greatest thing ever. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Shaka Khan hated through the wire all this time. Yeah, so I saw this. So apparently Kanye, you know, reached out to Shaka Khan, didn't what he what he say, how you know, he was going through it or whatever, and that this song saved his life, and he made through the wire, and Shaka Khan heard it, and then Kanye had done the chipmunk soul thing with it, and it kind of made Shaka Khan mad because she thought that Kanye was making a joke out of her, and what? Huh? And I guess, look, I mean... I guess the chipmunk soul thing wasn't as big as, you know, she hadn't caught on to that's what the game was, but I imagine she got some royalty checks off of that, right? Because if so, I don't know how you could do anything other than love it. I don't even like that song that much, but I bet it got you paid. All right, I appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. My man here says the chipmunk thing didn't happen too far before that. That's not really true. Um, through the wire is like 03. 
I mean, the chipmunk thing is starting. Kanye did this can't be life on Dynasty in 2000. Like, Blueprint, I mean, Blueprint gets a little chipmunky. You don't know what you do. Like, I mean, nah, it's been out there for a while. But to be fair, Shaka Khan has kind of lived a life that makes me understand if she might have, like, lost track of a few things at different points. No disrespect. All right, let me see what else we got here. Somebody said, shout out to No ID for training him. No ID can't hear you, man. Just got back from Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Super touristy spot. Walking in broad daylight in a very populated space. No lie, got offered weed and cocaine 20 times in three hours. Putting the profile on hold for a minute. What is the worst sales pitch you've gotten from a dealer in a foreign country? I've actually never gotten one. And I'm too afraid to go to jail in one of them places. Is Megan the Stallion's fever regressive? Like, regressive how? Like, I hope the dude that put this up here is still there because I don't really see what's regressive about it. I'll tell you what it is, though. Redundant and ultimately boring. Like, guys, I don't know if you've heard this, but Megan the Stallion going to sleep with your man. And, by the way, that man going to spend money on her. Did you know that? Because if you didn't know that, she tells you like 10, 12 tracks in a row. Like over and over and over again. It got old fast. And where I feel, and I may have talked about this on this podcast before, I'm not sure, but she needs better people around her in terms of coming up like in some total with what this Megan the stallion thing is going to be. Cause there's a limited shelf life on the way she's kicking it right now. So like, where does this evolve to and a turn or backlash is going to come for her. And is she built like insulated for doing that? Cause say what you want about Cardi B, man. Cardi B done set up a situation where America is rooting for her. All right, there's some people that dog her and everything else, but they ain't got just people who like her. She got people that are rooting for her. They are invested in her success like it is their own. Megan ain't really got that. It ain't there. So, like, I think she, I mean, she's really talented, right? She's good looking and she can wrap her ass off. Um, and at some point, I think that can all come together to make some great music. What her record was, was a bunch of really good music. But it all sounded the same, Mike. Appreciate the question. Let's see if I take a couple more of these. Back in the day, my aunt was working at a hotel that Luther Vandross was at as part of a tour. Something wasn't right in this room. And he calls the front desk, cussing my aunt out, something crazy. Well, my aunt can't remember if this is Fat Luther or Skinny Luther. What is your guess? This is a very interesting question. And my guess is that it was Skinny Luther because I imagine that Skinny Luther was feeling himself. What do you think? I mean, Luther's super diva. Like, I was reading that Aretha Franklin bio and listening to Luther talk about dealing with Aretha Franklin. Like, that was that was a super diva off right there. Like they both they both was ready for that. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go with Skinny Luther. 
That is my guess, is that it was Skinny Luther. Except the thing is, I feel like the peak of Luther fame is Big Luther. And so maybe the peak of Luther fame is what makes him feel more entitled. Or if he's not at the peak as he was before, is it possible that Luther then, rather than like lashing out out of entitlement, was just laugh, lashing out at frustration? It could go either way, guys. It could go either way. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see if I got one more. I finished a book on 1980s movie comedies the other day. Are you aware that the original ending of Coming to America called for a dance-off in Times Square between Eddie, MJ, and Prince? I did not know that. And now I just have to go. I, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. Try to do this thing once every week or so. Give or take. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. I'll be back in two weeks probably to do the show, though, because I'm going on vacation. Anyway, if you uh, cannot watch The Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe to Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. Uh, You guys enjoy yourselves, and I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy.